Welcome to the C3V podcast. So good uh, to be with you again. Uh, we've been together three times already this year, and I have said it before, and I say it again with great joy. It's like coming home, and it's good to see you, and good to see new faces that weren't here the last time I was here, and hope to get to know you. Um, we have entered into, a, a, this fall, we've entered into a covenant, as, as Graham has said, uh, with your leadership to work toward the time of transition, to strengthen, to encourage uh, your new leaders, and to help in any way that we can. And so uh, when Debbie and I get up in the morning, we start out by praying for our kids, and then we pray for our church, and then we say, God bless Graham and Patty in this season, empower them, give them wisdom, and give grace to Glenn and Susanna, and bless them, and Fill and use the loving people that you're bringing together to build uh, this church and this kingdom, a part of his vineyard in the kingdom. And uh, so we, we, we pray for you all the time and believe that this is a, this is a vital church and a vital, with a vital message. Uh, the work that you do here is not only vital, but it's eternal and that's really the reason I'm going to preach the message that's on my heart this morning. I, I need you to know that I come um, a little bit feeling like a person over these last two and a half years, like a person that's been way too long on the roller coaster. I'm going to give you a little bit of reason for that. November of 2019, we launched our second uh, location in a city just 30 minutes away from where our main uh, facility is. And uh, we got it going, we got it up, we, we had it running, and then about six months into that, COVID came. And uh, we were renting a facility and we had to pull back and, and uh, we weren't allowed to rent that facility until COVID was over. And uh, when we went to open again, over half the congregation that we had was, had moved away, had moved out of that area. And so we're starting from scratch, and it's been a six-year project so far, and at six years, we have a Tuesday night Bible study. Uh, we have camp, or we have uh, facility pastors there, but there's no Sunday service there, and that just gets under my skin, that, that we've worked that hard and that we're not where we want to be, and some days I wake up and I have this glorious vision, this glorious call that God put on my heart for that city, and I declare the promises of God over that town and over the leaders that we have for there and, and over the congregation that we're attempting to build. But some days, I don't wake up with that glorious, victorious kind of feeling, and uh, some days I wake up discouraged and I look at the signs of life and growth, and because I'm looking for green shoots in a land that's packed with snow already, uh, I often am left wondering, what are we doing? Like, is this worth it? Is this, where are we going? Do we continue to pour in time and resources and energy? Um, so it's one of two extremes, and it's never anywhere in the comfortable middle for me. It's one or the other, either full of hope and faith or struggling with doubt and despair. And when I'm struggling with doubt and despair, I go into my little home office and I open up my Bible and I read the autobiography of my friend Benaniah. 
Aren't you so thankful for his testimony? Don't you just love his story? It's just, it's just, and I'm glad you asked that. You're looking at me like I don't have a clue who Ben and I is, and I'm not surprised. So I'm glad you asked, and his autobiography is, is covered in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20. One verse, and um, you who don't love reading a lot, this is a great autobiography. It's only 34 words long. And uh, you, you can not only read it, but you can memorize it. It's, the, it's that short, but it, I think it's very powerful. And it reads this way. Benaniah, son of... And we're going to start calling him Ben from this time on, because I just think that's easier, okay? Uh, son of Jehodiah, a, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors, and he also went down into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. That's the whole story. <laughs> and so there are 34 words about the life and the exploits of this man, and, and with an unusual name. And, and, and if you read the word without expectation, you can pretty easily skim over those 34 words in just a matter of seconds and get going on to verse 21. But Benaniah is a son. He's a, a valiant fighter, a war hero, a, a, a poor bloke who somehow, someway got stuck in a pit on a snowy day with a lion. Big deal, Bill. You, you brought me out of bed for that? Like, that's it? It, it sounds boring. I, I couldn't care less about Benaniah. But, but these two sentences in this verse speak to each one of you. It speaks to your church, to your future, to your mission, to your reward. It, 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 so, let me, so let me give you a bit of background. These sentences are written in the official history of the nation of Israel. In a book called The Chronicles of Israel. And, and it's being read out loud as now 70-year-old David is laying on his deathbed, getting ready to pass from this life to the next. And, and, and he's not well, and he's confined to bed, and strength is ebbing. And so as a tribute, they brought the court to his bedroom and... They're reading out loud all the things that he's done, all the things that he's accomplished, his life, his legacy, the history of his reign. And it's being read out, and, and, and they're just sitting and saying, my, you've done a great job, King David. And, and, and it's a celebration, and it's a historical account of his leadership. And, and, and part of the legacy is the story of 37 men. 37 men that he raised up to be special forces in Israel. And um, th th they had a nickname for the squad. They called it David's Mighty Men. Pretty, pretty crafty, right? Uh, <laughs> David's Mighty Men. And, and the story and their exploits are recorded in, and the official record of the nation. And, and Benaniah is one of those 37 men listed. And, and every nation has its heroes. Every nation has, has men and women that have made a mark one way or another in, in medicine or in, in entertainment or culture or politics. And, and we, have, uh, we have names like Banting and Best and Terry Fox and Chris Hadfield and Wayne Gretzky and Michael 
Fox, you've just witnessed a, a miracle, a Calgary Flames fan mentioned an Edmonton Oilers fan. That's a miracle. But um, names that have been have meaning and have significance in the culture and, and in the history. Well, well, Benaniah is a name that's enshrined in Israeli history. Son, valiant fighter, war hero, and dude in the pit on a snowy day with a lion. Big deal, Bill. I'm still not pretty, like, eh, I'm kind of bored. Move on. Well, well, you might be bored because I haven't given you the backstory, which will help you appreciate those 34 words and unpack the power of them. In, in, the, in his teens, David is enlisted in a special way into Saul's army. He is too young to go. He's somewhere 15 to 17 years old. He's killed Goliath, and, and, and so he's inducted into the king's troops. And they recognize, not only with his work with Goliath, but as he grows and develops, that he's getting better and better, and that he's, he's, he's an amazing warrior, and he's an amazing strategist. And, and in fact, it becomes so well known that there's, there's this bit of a chant that was found on the top 40 uh, of the day, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it got some traction. And people are pretty excited about that. And, and, and that drove the king crazy. Absolutely crazy that this young man would outshine, would overshadow the majesty King Saul. And so Saul got jealous, got really, really jealous, and tried on several occasions to to assassinate David. And finally, for his own safety, David leaves the court and, and he runs into a rugged area and lives in the cave. This is hard on David. This isn't who David is. David's a people person. He, he, he's a songwriter. He's a performer. He's a, he's a team player. He's a big thinker. And to be limited and alone in a cave for him... Boy, that's hard. That's difficult. And, and, and not to have the challenge, not to have a purpose, not to have anything going, must have been very, very hard on him. And, and his family understands this, and so they gather themselves up. And, and when they were able, they would sneak down to see David in this wilderness area and bring him a bit of food and encourage him with, the, with updates on all that's going on in, in, the, in the nation because in his cave the reception wasn't so good and he couldn't get either CNN or Fox. And so they would bring him the information. And, and their visits became a little bit more significant than just family get-togethers because it brought on this extra activity. Men that had connection with David and David's family sort of discovered that the family knew where David was, and so they would tag along, and, and, and they would seek out to go and visit him as well. And, and that takes us to 1 Samuel chapter 22, the chapter that starts out with these words. David left the city of Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam, and when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. So you can barely keep a secret between you and your dad and your seven or eight brothers, okay? It, it's, it's important that we're secretive because if Saul finds out, it's not going to be pretty. 
And so verse 2 says, And all those who were in distress, or in debt, or discontented, gathered around him, and they became, and he became their commander. About 400 men. Again, it doesn't seem important, but it really is. These 400 men are not Annapolis graduates or, or graduates from West Point. These are men who had suffered with stress and, and suffered with anxiety and were hiding from debt collectors and uh, uh, alimony bounty hunters and, and men who couldn't decide what they wanted to be if they ever grew up. That, that's the kind of men... When I don't understand what that means, I always ask Eugene Peterson to help me. And, to, and so he does in the message, and, and here's how he records it. All who were down on their luck came around. Losers, vagrants, and misfits of all sorts. Okay? So, so here's poor David hiding in a, from a murderous king who was bound, bent, and determined to erase David's life and David's accomplishments from the national memory. And, and his family find him, and, and then 400 losers, vagrants, and misfits all kind of show up. And, and they sort of like, they sort of enjoy the fugitive life. You, you, you get to cook hot dogs over an open fire. And you, and you get to sleep in a sleeping bag outside under the stars. And, and, and you, you get to run around the forest and play war games. And, and, and here's an important lesson for, for us here and for believers to, to pick up on. You know, we go and we see the best of everything. We go and see the great cathedrals. We go and we listen to amazing music and see great artists and listen to great thinkers and read great novelists and think, well, unless I can start out at being the best, going the farthest, being the most recognized in all the world, I don't think I'm, I'm going to do that. Unless I'm a world-class builder or, 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 or musician or innovator, I'll just stay here. That's an excuse. And, and that's not God's strategy. God uses what's available. God built man out of dust. God didn't turn to mighty warriors. He turned to a 15-year-old boy with a slingshot to take care of Goliath. In the New Testament, we're told God chose and He chooses things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And, and he chooses the things that are powerless in order to shame those who are powerful. The, the reference might date me and it might leave you out of what I'm trying to say here, but I hope not. God usually doesn't use a Michelangelo and the perfect slab of marble to create perfection. But he generally looks for MacGyvers. He, he, he generally looks for someone who can grab a paper clip and some duct tape and a wad of chewing gum and get the broken down car to the next destination. God loves and has a use 
for misfits of all kinds. And like Paul of old, I can say to you that I am the chief misfit. And, and, and pretty happy about it because he's chosen me. That, that's my testimony. Misfit extraordinaire. It's not an act of desperation on God's part. It's a, it's a deliberate choice that He makes to take the people that the world doesn't see any potential in. The people who have messed up their personal, personal resume. Uh, the, the, the people that have, have profiles that have shame written all over them. The why, they, he, he chooses them to confuse the why. It's His way. Don't try to change His way because it works and He always ends up with the reputation of taking the impossible and making it possible and supernaturally abnormal. And so just determine that he'll, He can use you. Just, just determine, I sign up, I enlist right now, right here. So these misfits are, are there and David says, well... We have nothing else to do, so let's build some discipline in you. Let, let, let's, let's teach you to get up when the, the rooster crows, rather than sleep till evening. Let, let's teach you to show up for the job. Let, let's teach you to, to get along with your cohorts. Let's... Let's add some skills to your resume. Let's teach you how to budget and pay your bills on time. Let, let, let's do some drills and build some strength and add some order to your private world. Let, let, let's add value. Let's believe that there's more for you than being just a misfit. So, so these misfits are all together and it says that David became their leader. 400 misfits, and he transforms them into a special ops group of warriors. And, and, and as they grow and develop, there's, there's pride in him and there's pride in them. And, and, and when he goes at 30 years of age to become the king of Israel, he, he brings them with him. And they become his, his trusted confidants and colleagues and, 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 and they take with David as their leader, they take Israel from a small, insignificant little landlocked kind of place and, and they take it to a significant, powerful, mighty nation. And, and they become army captains. They become bodyguards. They become police enforcement. They become strategists and advisors. The 400 become David's lifelong projects and his closest, dearest friends. And of the 400 men, 37 of those rise like cream to the top. And they become elite forces. And one of these 37 men is our name, our man Benny. And, and so we go back to our text this morning and we find out a little more that it's significant and, than what we might have first thought when we read it at the beginning. He says there that Benny was the son of Jediah. I don't know about you, but being a misfit 
isn't easy on a family. I grew up and my sister finally confessed to me that for the first 30 years of her life she denied she had a brother. Because he was just so odd. And, and misfits are often disowned by their family. It's too embarrassing, it's too shameful to say that this is my son or this is my brother. I, I had a heartbreaking moment this week in my office as a, as a lady who is in her late 80s came into my office and told me about her son who's 60 years old suffers with several addictions and mental illness issues, and so she can't have him because of his violent nature in her own home. But at night, we'll drive to a spot in the city and leave a bag of food and some clean clothes behind a dumpster, where he'll come and pick it up later in the night. And it's not how it was meant to be, it's not how she wants it to be, but it, right now it's the only way that works. And, and Benaniah came as a misfit. Almost 50 years later, he has found his place. And when they're writing his name, they want it to be sure that everybody understands he's not a loser anymore. He's not a misfit. He's found his family. He's become a son. He has a lineage. I know my dad, and his name is Jedediah, and, and, and he knows me, and he's proud of me. And, and in this house of transformation, you discover who your father is. And you discover that he loves you and that he, he's, all that he has for you is offered to you. And you drop the shame at the door of his house. And you pick up the robe of sonship. And you wear the ring of authority. And you put on the shoes of belonging. And you walk around the homestead not as a loser, not as a misfit, not as a visitor, but as a child and an heir to all that father has. Misfits need a place to belong. They need a place that is safe and encouraging and a place that they that will look beyond their faults and see their promise and their potential. And if you find such a place, if you enter a house of transformation, you discover your lineage. You, you discover that God has your name and, and calls you by His name. And God found me when I was lonely and put me into family, and I'm a child of God, and that's who I am. And, and, and then it says that Benaniah is a valiant fighter from Kabzeel. I come from Balzac, so I'm not going to make fun of Kabzeel, just so that you know. Not, not only was he a son, but he's found to have some undiscovered abilities. He, he has... He was strong. He was courageous. When there was trouble in front of him, he didn't run away from it. He ran to that conflict. And he had a, a tendency to be a bit of a fighter. In, in fact, he was a valiant or a heroic fighter. In, in 2022, we can become very anti-war and anti-violence. And, and I don't mind that at all. I, I celebrated the lives of those who made the ultimate sacrifice and, and gave years of their lives moving through deserts and up coastlines on Thursday to fight for our life and for our liberty. And I'm aware that war is horrific and that 
that scars and marks on the landscape and on the lifescapes of, of families last for generations. However, the work that we do, the work that we're called to do is a life of spiritual warfare. And, and we have an enemy who is hell-bent to steal, kill, destroy. And, and we live in a world system that doesn't value who we are, doesn't value what we do, doesn't love the king we represent. But at the end of the book, it says we win. And between here and there, there's a battle. And, and he will win that war, and the king, our king, will make the kingdoms of this, war, this world his kingdom, and he will reign over it forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And so in the battle, we need some people who know how to fight. In, in David's school of transformation, Ben and I discovered his strength, his purpose, the reason for his existence, and he excelled at being a fighter. A heroic fighter. And, and this man who had to run away and hide in a cave 50 years before now has a hometown called Kabzeel. And, and it, they're proud of him. They're, they're proud of his accomplishment. When you drive through the front gates of the city, it says, home of the heroic warrior Benaniah. Welcome. The church. We, as the church, we exist to help lost, abandoned, hopeless people find their father and find their purpose. And it is who we are, it is what we do, it's why we fight. Anyone who tells you that this work is not important, anyone who doesn't show up to invest their life and their resources in the work that is in front of you, in front of me, is deceived and is unaware of the heart and the passion of your commander, the Lord Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, the redeemer, the hope of the world, the light of the world, the loving, forgiving Father. It's who we are. It's what we do. They go on and they say, Ben and I have performed great exploits. If you were growing up and you were seen as a misfit, nobody really expected much of you. I, I remember one teacher saying to my parents, we hope to just get him through the year. <laughs> I, I, I have a lot... I've thought about this line, this Ben and I have performed great exploits. I've thought a lot about those words. Performed great exploits. This misfit came in as a young man with no marketable skills, with no good credit rating, with, with no references. But now, 50 years later, the list of his accomplishment is so long that they can't find enough paper. They don't have enough time to list them all. He wasn't a good man. He was a great man. He did great exploits. And I love that they use those words for two reasons. First, his biggest ability was to just show up. He showed up consistently. He came and he brought his A game. He showed up and he didn't send excuses. He didn't send his regrets. He showed up. 
And, and, and he was faithful. He served where he was needed. He, he didn't say no to anything because every opportunity is an opportunity to learn and to grow. And, and, and he grew personally. We read that when Jesus went from a, from a baby to a man, Luke records that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. He grew physically, mentally, intellectually, socially, spiritually. Step by step, routine with and, and regular growth. Showing up is, is, is growing up. And and same is true for this man, Ben. He, he grew. He, he was a misfit. And then with discipline, he became faithful and he became good. And then he became a man that you wanted to watch because there's some promise on him. And, and, and there's potential in him. And, and then he became a remarkable man. And then... He, it transformed into an outstanding man, but at the end of David's life, he had a reputation, and that reputation was that he was not just capable of doing remarkable things, but that he was empowered for doing great things. And, and the second reason that I love the wording is because in the book of Daniel, we're told that the people that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. The strength of Ben's life is that he was not just a fighter, that he was not just a valiant warrior, but under the mentorship and, uh, of his commander, David, or the, the man called David, he, he learned the ways of great exploits is to be connected intimately to God. When, when David was a teen and signing up to take on the Philistine champion, he was told that he... He had no experience for war. He was going to fail because he didn't know what he was doing. And he said, I know what I'm doing. He said, I've been a shepherd. I, I, I've been tending the sheep for my father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it. And I knocked it down and I rescued the lamb. And if it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat. He's not talking about a frog or a gopher. He's talking about lions and bears and all of that. He says, I'd grab it by the throat, I'd wring its neck, and I'd kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same to the Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of God alive. I'm quoting Eugene Peterson, by the way. God, who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear, will deliver me from the Philistine. And, and David's experience and David's teaching on lions inspired and prepared Ben for his lion encounter. And, and the people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. So then the official record chooses two outstanding feats of this outstanding man. And, and the first, he, Benaniah, struck down two of Moab's mightiest warriors. Again, mentored by David, a man of experience who had gone up against a nine-foot-six-inch giant named Goliath with a slingshot. But the mentor didn't just say, hey, listen, I know what I'm doing. You watch and you learn. I'll show you how it's done. David trained. David equipped. David released Ben to be a warrior. And, and Ben grew in that ability until he comes up against Moab's two mightiest warriors. Not, not one hulking giant, but two of the meanest, baddest, I had to say that really carefully, baddest terrorists of his time. And, and they came at him together. 
And he, like James Bond, just took them both down. He struck them down. He defended them. He, he defeated them and won the battle. He, he, he risked moving out of his comfort zone of excuses, of shame, of fear, of every other lie that attempted to disqualify him to be who God had designed him and designated him to be, and as a result, took down two mighty terrorists. I, I, I mention that because I believe with all my heart that there's not only an opportunity for this house of transformation to make a difference in this place, but I believe wholeheartedly that if you dare to take the risk that you as a house, you as individuals could gain a reputation for taking out two, three, four, five terrorists, spiritual terrorists who have hellish assignments against the promise and the potential of the city that you call home. Are you willing to be a risk taker? But, but I have... I've kept you hostage here for this long because of the last 14 inspirational, instructional, revelationary words of this verse. These are the words that, that pull me out of the ditch of discouragement, out of the ditch of being overwhelmed, and set me back in a place of faith and courage. He, Ben, also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. I wish there was more information. How did he get in the pit? What, was he like me? Was he just a bit clumsy and fell into the pit? I, I don't think so, because there's not a lot of pits that have lions in them. It, it seems to me that it's again a Daniel-like setup, that people jealous of his valiant, heroic reputation decided to erase him from the story. And they placed him in a pit where he could be destroyed and killed. Let, let's get rid of Ben. Let's throw him in the pit. Let's let him be lion-proof. Here's a sure word from the Lord to you individually and to you as a church. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials. Here on earth, you will have many sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Aren't you glad you came to church to be told you're going to have many trials and sorrows this morning? But don't stop there. In a pit, on a snowy day with a lion. Remember this take heart because I have overcome the world. My victory, Jesus says, is make, makes your victory possible. Blessed are they who trust in God for they shall never be disappointed. He went down into a pit. A pit's the worst place in the world to have a fight. You're confined. The ground's unstable. Pits are not outfitted with lion fighting equipment. There's no wall to hide behind and launch those TV grenades over the top to blow up the little lion. There, there's no escape hatch to run through. 
if you feel like you're losing. Remember the, the promise that God will make a way of escape? Please point to me the, the escape route from a pit. The only one that I know of is, is some kind soul would lower a rope or a ladder, but the people who threw you in the pit are probably not going to do that. Pit is the worst place to fight a fight. He went down into a pit on a snowy day. I felt that the Lord wanted me to, to, to preach this message here, and I sort of thought, well, God, I don't know. And then Glenn phoned and said that it had snowed here, and that was a confirmation. <laughs> and when he said it snowed, I knew he meant a dusting. <laughs> You, you need to know that in my house, in the last six days, I've had four and a half foot drifts in front of my garage twice, okay? Twice. So just when you think things couldn't possibly get any worse, that pit is covered with a fresh snowfall. A, a bad place to fight becomes the worst time to fight because snow makes it slick, makes it slippery. One bad move and you can be flat on your back looking up at a lion about to come. You, you, you can hit your head on a rock. You can become vulnerable and unable to defend yourself. And, and if you have to go into a pit, at least schedule your disasters so that you're not there on a snowy day. <laughs> and if you live in Calgary, that means that I have to schedule disasters sometime in July or August. I've known it to snow once in August, but generally not. The only two months that I've not regularly seen snow in Calgary is July and August. In a pit, the worst place, on a snowy day, the worst time. He went down into the pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. We um, live on an acreage, and uh, we've had varmints in our house. Sometimes um, a mouse. What was the animal I said this morning? A what? No, it wasn't a moose. A, a weasel. We had a weasel. Uh, my, my wife, I'd gone downtown to pick up my son, and we come in through the door, and my wife is standing on the kitchen table. <laughs> like this, and, and she had gone to bed, and she had just started, and she felt something crawl through her hair, and it was a weasel. And so my son came and lifted her off the table and put her in the car and drove her to his house, and she promised not to come back till the weasel was caught, okay? Th this isn't a weasel. This is in a pit on a snowy day with a lion. And what do you do with a lion in a pit on a snowy day? You could give thanks that it's not a tiger, because a lion has 651 pounds per square inch pressure in his jaw, but a tiger has twice as much as that. If you Google surviving a lion attack, you are told, stand your ground, wave your hands, and shout like you appear more threatening. Next, back away slowly as you continue to 
flail your arms and shout so that the lion doesn't sense your fear or smell your wet pants. <laughs> it almost makes you think Google is useless like that. You know, really. Um, but a lion has the strength to not only bite through your flesh, but break and sever your bones. It, it, there are so many things that could go wrong in a pit on a snowy day with a lion. And, and I'm told that a mature male lion will leave his family group and will form coalitions and use force to establish sovereignty over the pride. And, and this can result in violent and bloody battles with, with existing pride leaders and a lot of collateral damage. They're trained by nature to attack and fight to the death. Now he's in the pit on a snowy day about to attack you. An average male lion weighs 420 pounds, is six feet long, with long arms and powerful claws. Again from Google. A lion's claw must be some of the most fearsome weaponry in nature. Not only are they razor sharp and as strong as carbon fiber, there are 18 of them. And they're attached to over 400 pounds of pure muscle and steel. In the worst place, at the worst time, with the worst the official record of Israel is that Benaniah, in those extreme and dangerous conditions, emerged the victor. Killed the lion, lived to tell about it, and celebrated, was celebrated for his feat of strength and cunning. A national hero, one of David's 37 mighty men. But, but remember, his history is, is one of 400 men, all of whom were down on their luck, losers, vagrants, misfits of all sorts. That's where he began. But he came into the house of transformation. Into David's refuge camp. Under David's leadership and tutelage. A, a, a mature, strong, able David became his captain. And, and with training and discipline, Ben learned that he belonged. He discovered that he had a purpose. He built a reputation over time and strength and faithfulness. And he didn't avoid risk. He proved that his faith and trust in God was well placed in some of the most difficult and under some of the most pressurized moments. Imaginable. Susanna, can I have you come? Ben was transformed from a misfit to a mighty warrior. C3 Vancouver is a house of transformation. It has been for over 20 years, and its best years are still in front of it. I'm not unaware of the obstacles. I'm not unaware of the challenges that are in front of us right now. You ha live in one of the most expensive cities in the country. On top of that, the size of the Christian community in this city has shrunk, has gone down by 4% in the last 10 years. Your, your, your city has grown, but the Christian community has shrunk to less than 900,000 Christians of every stripe and denomination, some of whom Jesus doesn't even know their name. 
that, that, that survey was taken in 2016, and so you know that the pandemic, that, that number might not even be that healthy. When I say those numbers, it's tempting to feel like you're in a pit on a snowy day with a lion. I want to prophesy this morning an unusual thing for for a guy with a pastoral calling to do in the house of a recognized prophet. I've lost a lot of sleep tonight doing this. But but like Ben, I'm, I'm going to take a risk. I want you to know this. You've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. You're not here by accident. You're not in this building this morning by by some kind of weird circumstance. You're here by divine appointments. It matters not what family, it matters not what the world, what the enemy, what your resume records, or what your fears say to you about you. It matters what God says about you. You are my beloved, he says. You are more than conquerors. I give you the power to go into all the world and preach with your lives the gospel of Jesus Christ. You you have been brought to the kingdom, been brought to Vancouver, been brought to C3 Vancouver for this time. You're not here by accident. you've, You've been brought for a purpose. You could be parked comfortably so in a big church and enjoy being cared for and able to hide as an anonymous person in the crowd. But that's not what God wants for you. He wants you on the front line. He wants you to be the queen that rises to the top. He wants you to be the elite. not, Not so that you can push others away, but so that you can do the fights. You can make history. You can tell the story. You're you're set up in a house of transformation to be an agent of change. You're you're being set up to be listed in the record of history that you are mighty men, mighty women of the house who did great exploits for God. You're, you're, You're turning into the elite troops for God. And the story of this house is a house and a story of transformation. It's legend. The stories that come out of this house. People who've been brought from death to life. People who've been brought out of darkness into light. People who were hopeless and met with the great impact and significance of the gospel that changed their very lives. It wasn't done with smoke and mirrors. It wasn't done with fancy talk or pervasive, persuasive manipulation. It was done one-on-one transforming lives over a cup of coffee. Some of you are here because your life was transformed in this house by the leaders who have established the house. And some of you have experienced transformation in other places, but you've drifted in here by the plan and purpose of God because you love the heart, you love the climate of this place, and it reflects your own heart and burden. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. And it will be said of you that God transformed your life. And as a result of that transformation, you took that same comfort. And you found the people in the streets. And you gave that comfort away to this generation that needed help, needed hope. And only God could give that kind of hope. That that you built the kingdom bigger, better, stronger than it was before. 
do not listen or give credence to those who would say your numbers will determine your impact. You have a Gideon anointing to rescue Israel. You have a Gideon anointing. Gideon was called by God and he found it. He was hard pressed to believe that because that, that God would do what he said because he said, God, you, you've got the wrong man. I come from the smallest tribe and I'm the weakest clan and I'm not even that good or that smart in my own family for crying out loud. The Lord says to him and the Lord says to C3V, I will be with you. Your battle will be successful and it will appear as though you're not fighting a major war, you're fighting one man. The, the enemy of transformation is one who attempts to divide and conquer the cohort. He, he will highlight disappointments. He will magnify disagreements. He will attempt to take you to being disgruntled and angry and off-put all the time. But David didn't allow his 400 groaners, complainers, misfits, and losers to do that. He, he didn't allow them to go back to their old excuses, their former ways. He, he brought them and ex he, he taught them and he exemplified to them to stick together, together no matter what. My premier used this during the, the, the uh, pandemic and it he made me mad with it a couple of times because he didn't really mean it. But anyways, we're better together. Our strength is in our God. Our ability is in our unity. Two are better than one, the Scripture said, because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can anyone keep warm alone? Though one may be overwhelmed, two can defend themselves. A cord of three is not quickly broken. Our strength is in our God. Our ability is in our unity. Will you stand? I'm not scared by the time we're in. We're in a pit. It seems to be snowing, and it looks like there might be a lion here. But my friend Benny says, in God we trust. My friend Benny says, it doesn't matter where you came from, as long as you're plugged in to family, as long as you're impacted by the power and the love and the life of God. My friend Benny says, you can go from misfit to amazing. One, I want to pray for you today. I believe, I believe with all my heart that the greatest days for this house are still ahead. I, I believe that this building was a great provision of God for the time that we had it, but we don't have it after Christmas. I sort of want to come to this ugly sweater thing just to put some TNT in the walls and blow it up myself. Like I 
so I won't be back just so that if it happens, I'm not blamed. I wasn't here, okay? The building doesn't matter. It's the people that make the difference. And if you're wanting, if you're wanting to say, hey, I just want to, I want to build the kingdom with my family at C3B. It's not that we're the best. It's not that we're the only thing. But we're where God placed us. We're where God planted us. And he plants with a purpose. He knew who you needed. You need to know, I have a big family. I have five brothers and sisters. Some of them are, are, are a little hard to handle. And some of them, done. And there's some days that you're going to come to C3B and you're going to say, oh man, you're my family. Come on, I'll hug you. Let's do it together. We're better together. And you just fight for the unity because, because with God's power, we have the victory, but it's in our unity. We have the ability. We want you to come. We want to pray for stand here and let's let's fill up the altar and just we're just I'm gonna ask pastors to just lay hands on people just to pray over people just to prophesy over people it's important that we just identify ourselves we we are family okay we're we're not we're not going to allow discouragement to do what it was said to do there are mighty people in this room this morning. There are warriors. There are intercessors. There are servants. There are leaders. There are teachers. There are wise counsel. There are healers. There are life givers. There are strategists. There is everything this house needs that's here. It's here. Glenn and Susanna can't do it all by themselves. They're going to need people to come and say, hey, listen, I've got this part. I, I just I need to do this. Can you help me? Can you train me? Can you put me in a place where I can do this? So we're just going to pray over you. Let's just lift up our hands and just say, God, your will be done in my life. Pastors, start laying hands on people. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Release. Release healing. Release power. Release vision for what you're wanting to do in this house. There are good days ahead. Help them see the good days. Help them to know God's presence here in the pit on the holy days. Help them to understand, God, that they're here by purpose and by appointment, that there's no accidents in God. That there's no accidents in God. Let their life so speak of the glory of God. I want what you have. Release life in these people today. Release light in them today. God, give them new understanding of the purposes that they're here for. They're here under the appointment and the anointing of God. Do it in a mighty way, in a mighty way this morning, God. Touch, release, heal, strengthen, God. So hearts together today. Where forgiveness has to come. Let it flow through this house. Where disappointment has brought discouragement, God, lift that off this morning in the name of Jesus. Let there come such strength, such such unity, such love, oh God. 
love that oozes out of this house, love that oozes out of every meeting that takes place. Every meeting that takes place, God. In Jesus' name, let the prophetic that's established this house continue to make it strong, continue to make it vibrant, oh God. Encounters with God. Every time they come together, encounters with God. Life-changing encounters, oh God. We're praying, we're asking it in the mighty name of Jesus. Life, life, life. Let light come. Father, I'm praying for a release of finances to this house. More than enough. More than enough. That's who you are. You're more than enough, oh God. Let finances never be an issue in this house, oh God. Strength to strength, glory to glory, life and light coming every time they turn around. Miracles. Miracle stories. God, what you did at the beginning with the with the uh, young people, let it happen again. Let it happen again, oh God. Let the lost, let the destitute find hope and find peace and find purpose in the house, oh God. Let it happen in this house. Greater things. What happened in the first days, let it then be greater in the latter days, oh God. Let it be greater in the latter days. God, don't allow the lie to say that this house quit at such and such a day. It went from glory to glory, strength to strength, life to life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the C3V podcast. To find out more about our church, visit us at c3v.ca.